As I mentioned last week, as we jump into these next weeks of fall, Pastor Ron and Kay are going to join us again. Their retirement is over, and uh, they're going to come back and help us here at the church, um, including Kay will continue to teach children's church on Sunday mornings. Pastor Ron, as you see in your bulletin, is going to teach an adult Sunday school class uh, again starting next week. They'll help us on Wednesday nights in, in Clubhouse Chapel as well. Um, let me just say, say one thing about uh, Sunday school classes. We have, we'll have two adult classes next week, and if, if you, there's lots of times, you can, you can come to Sunday school anytime, any week. Uh, but this is one of those times which would be a great time if you've been thinking about it, you're, you've been thinking, I, I, I might want to come an hour early on Sunday morning and get donuts when they're fresh and be able to go to Sunday school together. This would be a time for you to jump in. Um, and, if you, and if you've never come, uh, Pastor Ron is, is doing uh, some material starting next week that we have done previously, How People Change, um, but it has been um, foundational to who we are at Richland, and uh, if you have not had that or, or been through that material, I would love to have you come and, and, to, and to be a part of that class uh, starting next week. So we would love to have you be a part of Sunday School. We are in Acts, um, Acts of the Apostles, in this new sermon series, working our way through the story of Acts. And I have said to you that, that the story of Acts is really about change and transformation. And it starts right away with uh, several stories of change and transformation. In fact, we see in these first two chapters, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Acts, we see uh, just an unbelievable transformation happening in the lives, particularly of the disciples. Uh, they, they early on, in fact, if you were to back up, if you remember, I, I told you Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote his gospel, the, the gospel of Luke. If you were to go back into to Luke and see the last part of Luke before he jumps into the first part of Acts, uh, you would see that the disciples, uh, when Jesus is, is arrested particularly, and then from that point on, uh, they, they scatter, they, they run, they're, they're disillusioned, they're shell-shocked. They can't believe that, that the, the one they thought was going to rescue them is instead had been arrested, then crucified, put into a tomb. Even, even after Jesus is raised from the dead, they're still, they're still a little scattered. They're still, they still don't know what's going on. And that's how we enter into the book of Acts then is we have this group of disciples, their, their rescuer is back, he's been raised from the dead, and so this transformation is beginning to happen in them. And, and they, have, they have gathered back together, he's teaching them, he spends 40 days after his resurrection uh, teaching the disciples, appearing to them in a number of different ways, giving them many proofs, it says in the book of Acts, and begins to show them the plan that he has moving forward. And in fact, as we talked about in chapter one, he gives them his plan. They, they say to him, when are you going to bring your kingdom? And he says, I, that's not for you to know, but this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna be my witnesses. You, you are gonna be the ones that go and share. And he begins to call them and give them the great commission, as we call it, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. This is your mission, Jesus says to the disciples. And then, at the end of that, ascends into heaven. 
At that moment, even, as you read in chapter 1, the disciples still, they're in this process of transformation. But at that moment, when Jesus gives those instructions and ascends into heaven, they turn their eyes and they look to heaven and they wait. Thinking Jesus is going to come back at any moment. He's ascending and he'll return right now. And angels come and have to say, don't look up to the sky. Go, do what he's called you to do. He'll come back. He will come back. But it's not going to be right away. And so the disciples do. They go, they, they obey the instructions that Jesus has given to them to wait in Jerusalem until the helper that he is going to send comes. So they go, they gather in the upper room, they, they devote themselves to prayer, they see that they need to, to, to fill the role that Judas left of, of the apostles, and so they, they put, to, put up a couple of names uh, to be the apostle that fulfills Judas' spot, um, and, they, and they obey. One of the things I shared last week, they obey, they pray, and look to the scripture for guidance. They discern as best they can what they're going to do, and then they act and they make a decision and they choose Matthias to fulfill the role. Or God chooses Matthias as they cast lots to fulfill the last spot in the 12 disciples. So the disciples are moving, they're changing, they're transforming. But chapter 2 is where the major transformation really comes to these disciples. These disciples have so far have, have been, been scattered and scared after the crucifixion. They, they've been confused as they've stared at the sky. They've, they've, they've tried to, to put on a brave face, I think, and gone back to that upper room and, and done what they know to do and to, and to choose another disciple. They've, 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 tried, they've tried to change in the midst of this, but now all of a sudden a major transformation comes on them. And again, it's not because they try harder. It's because God works in them. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're in chapter 2 of Acts. It's page 909 if you have a pew Bible there. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13 together this morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a wind, a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. 
I want to talk today about this transformation that happens in Acts chapter 2. And we'll talk some more about it next week, too, as we continue on in chapter 2 and we see the message that Peter shares. But what I want to share today about Pentecost, I, I, I want to share just a, a, a couple of things. I want, to sh- I want to talk about when it happened, because I think that's significant. I want to talk about what happened, and then we'll talk more, including next week, about what does it mean. And one of the reasons why I'm jumping into Acts right away as, as one of my first sermon series is because this, this passage, really what, what we're reading about right here today in Acts chapter 2, uh, has been so important to me in my own spiritual life and in my ministry here at Richland. Um, Pentecost, the story of Pentecost, is, is one of those things that, that throughout my Christian walk, I, I, I read it, I knew the story, I, I knew the Bible story part of it, I understood what happened as far as the narrative of the story, but what it really meant, I, I, that had lost all meaning. And when I first began to understand what exactly was happening there, I was, I was blown away. That's Pentecost humor for you right there. Blown away. I was blown away by the truth, by the truth of what this really means. Both for the disciples in that moment and for you and I as believers. That we have hope because Jesus sends a helper, the Holy Spirit, to reside in believers. That the temple is now us. It's unbelievably important for us to know that. So today as we look here at at the Pentecost story, let me just share a few things with you. Again, we'll talk about it more next week, but I want to share just a few things with you this morning that I think are important to know. First, I want to talk about when it happened. In fact, that's how Luke starts it in in chapter 2. He says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived. And and I'll admit, early on in in my walk, I because this is what happens on the day of Pentecost, I, in my head, have just thought that Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit came and arrived and lived in believers, that 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 was the name we gave to that day. But it's not. Pentecost was around before the Holy Spirit comes and makes his appearance here in in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, literally, that word literally means 50 50 days after Passover is another celebration called Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2, also called in other parts of the Bible, it's called the Feast of Weeks and the Festival of First Fruits in some places. The Feast of Weeks and the Festival of First Fruits. It always happened 50 days, 50 days after Passover. And so whenever Passover was set and established by the, by the calendar. Um, 50 days following that was Passover. So that typically, or Pentecost, and when that typically meant that Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, typically fell somewhere in May or early June. 
And so this celebration would have been, in Jewish tradition, this would have been one of the most attended of all of the celebrations that, that when Jews would have come, they would have come for the celebration of Pentecost because this was the, the, the easiest time to travel. This was the nicest weather for people to travel and to get to Jerusalem from wherever they are. And so, as, as we'll talk about later on in the story, people would have come from all over the known world at that time to come to, to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost um, is known as the, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest or the Festival of First Fruits because this celebration fell at the first part of May or early June. Um, harvest would have, or, or crops would have begun to, to, to come. Even maybe some would have come to, to the place where they might be harvested. And so one of the sacrifices one of the offerings that would be brought at this Feast of Harvest would have been the very, very, very first fruits or very, very first parts of their harvest they would have brought as an offering right here to Jerusalem for this celebration. And so Pentecost, Pentecost, if you see that symbolism, Pentecost is the very beginning of the early church. It's the very first fruits of God beginning to work in the hearts of his believers. And we see them show up here on the day of Pentecost. The Jewish people would have, would have been bringing their first fruits. They would have had a practice of giving those first parts of their harvest as an offering. And they would have been saying, God, we give you, we give you the beginning of what we trust you are going to give to us. We're going to give you the very first part of it, the very first fruits, which is contrary oftentimes to the, to the way that you and I think, especially in our Western world today. You and I tend to think, God, you have given me all of these things and I have collected them up and now, God, I am going to give just a, a portion of this large things that you have given to me. I'm going to give a portion back to you. And the Jewish tradition was, I'm going to give the first part, I'm going to give all of it, this first part, to you and trust that more blessing will follow. It's the festival of first fruits. It's the harvest of weeks or the fest, feast of weeks. But it also, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, if you take it all the way back to the beginning, is even significant to what's happening here. You know that Passover starts in Exodus when Moses comes to, to Egypt and Passover is the 10th plague um, of what happens to the Egyptians as, as God is rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt in Exodus. And, and Passover is a reminder of what happens in that 10th plague when the angel of the Lord passes over the homes that have the blood on the doorpost, as God had instructed, but the homes that do not have the blood on the doorpost, uh, the angel of the Lord comes over and the, and the firstborn is killed in each of those homes. And there's an annual celebration reminding the Jewish people of when the angel passed over them, when their firstborn was, was rescued, was saved. And then after that Passover, the, uh, that original Passover, 
When that happens, the Israelite children are saved because of the blood on the door. The Egyptian children are not. And Pharaoh finally throws up his hands and Pharaoh says to Moses, take your people, get out of here. I'm tired of this. It's time for you to go. And so Moses and the Israelite people leave. They take off out of Egypt and escape from the slavery that had, they had been a part of in Egypt. And you remember all the stories. We don't have, all the, have to go through all those details, but they get through the Red Sea. The Egyptians are taken care of. They, they come to the edge of the promised land. And all of that journey takes them approximately 50 days. And after 50 days, they come to the edge of Mount Sinai, and Moses heads to the top of Mount Sinai, and God comes and visits with Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments, gives him the law, says to Moses, in essence, if you follow these laws, this is how you will be made right with me. This is how we can have that perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had back in the garden. If you obey these laws, if you fulfill these laws, you will be made right. And so Moses gets these instructions 50 days after Passover on what becomes the day of Pentecost. And now, now here in Acts chapter 2, it says when the day of Pentecost arrives, all of a sudden we have a new way because the last Passover has now happened. It was an annual celebration remembering that God had made a way for the Israelites to be saved while they were in Egypt, and it was a reminder for them that he was going to provide a Passover lamb, a perfect sacrifice in the future. And now, when we come to Acts chapter 2, that last Passover has happened. He has now provided the perfect lamb in Jesus, and Jesus' death and resurrection has taken place. And so now we come to the first Pentecost after the last Passover, and God sends the Holy Spirit. The first Pentecost, God gave instructions on how we could be made right with him, how we could obey the law that he had given, which we couldn't. But he gives us a law and says, if you do this, you will be right with me. And now, at this first Pentecost, following the death and resurrection of Jesus, he gives us the helper, so that we might live for him. So let's talk about what happened. The day of Pentecost arrives. They all gather together in one place. They've, they've followed the instructions that Jesus had given to them. They're all in the upper room, about 120 of them. We read in Acts chapter 1. Jesus' family is there. His mother and his brothers are there. The disciples are there as well as 100 or more other disciples, people who had been following Jesus, are gathered there together as well. We don't know exactly what their spirit is in it. We don't know whether they're still anxiously awaiting. We, we, well, we know they're anxiously awaiting, but we, we know they've been doing this now for 10 days. Jesus taught for 40 days. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And so for 10 days, they've been in this room praying together, wondering, what is God going to do? What does this look like? What is going to happen? And then, all of a sudden, all of a sudden from heaven, Luke says in Acts chapter 2, 
from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the entire house where they're sitting. We know wind. We live on the prairies of South Dakota, and we know what the sound of a mighty rushing wind would be. We know that sound. In fact, if we were to write Acts chapter 2 right now, we probably would say, we would probably associate it with something different, like, like, because we do. When we talk about wind, we say, it sounded like a freight train barreling through when we could, you know that sound, right? And from heaven comes this sound. God's shown up in scripture over and over in sound. In fact, at the very beginning, he speaks creation into existence. He shows up in sound at Mount Sinai with Moses in thunder and lightning. He shows up in the sound of wind like this when both the tabernacle and the temple are filled with his presence. He shows up with the sound of a wind. Jesus comes into the picture with the sound of a choir of angels singing, declaring his birth and his entrance into earth. God comes and promises to come in sound with a trumpet announcing the return of the Messiah. God oftentimes comes in sound many times The Bible tells us he comes in the wind and the thunder, and oftentimes he comes in a still, small voice. But we know what it's like to hear God. He shows up here in Acts chapter 2, in the sound like a mighty rushing wind, but he also comes, comes not just in sound, but he comes in sight. They see fire. Again, we shouldn't be surprised that God shows up on the scene here in Acts chapter 2 in light. At the very beginning, God speaks creation into being. He says, let there be light. God is light. Moses sees God as a fiery, burning bush. The lack of light, darkness, is one of the plagues that happens when the Israelites are under, under slavery in Egypt. After they leave, a pillar of fire leads the Israelites. Elijah later calls fire from heaven when God sends it down to take care of the sacrifices that are there when they're in the battle with the prophets of Baal. Elijah also gets to go home in a fiery furnace, or fiery furnace, fiery chariot, not a furnace. Those are some other guys. Jesus' birth is again announced with a fiery burning star in the sky. Jesus himself is transfigured into marvelous light. Jesus, in fact, tells the disciples, I am the light of the world. God is seen throughout all of Scripture as light. And so it's no surprise that he comes here in Acts chapter 2, as the Spirit shows up 
that he shows up in fire. It's not a surprise that he shows up on fire. What is a surprise, though, to the disciples, I would guess, it's a surprise to us as we read it, is that the fire is divided, it tells us. There are divided tongues of fire that appear and rest on each one of them. It's not one pillar of fire. It's not one burning bush. It's not one star in the sky. This fire is on each of them. A divided tongues of fire on each one of them. When we see the Spirit show up, we see him show up in sound. We see him show up in sight, but we see him show up also in soul-filling satisfaction. In soul-filling satisfaction. Each one of them. Each one of them. The Bible tells it to us this way. It says that the tongues of fire appeared to them, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And, in verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We see a little example of that here, and it's particularly next week as we talk about what Peter does and how he's changed. We'll talk about it all the way through Acts as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. But more than anything else, what I want you to see that it means is that they are changed, transformed. They are made new creations when the Spirit fills them. These disciples go from staring in the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back in just a few days. They begin to preach in the temple. They go from timid, hill country folk, Galileans, they say here in chapter two. They go from timid, hill country folk to impassioned preachers all the way through the rest of the book of Acts. They go from from fishermen who, as soon as hard times come, they would run home and begin to fish again. They were fishermen on sabbatical, and now they give their lives all the way to the end, which isn't very long for some of them. They give their lives all the way to the end as full-time, gospel-declaring, Jesus-pointing missionaries and disciples. They had found something that was so soul-satisfying, so soul-filling that they could not help but share their joy and declare their hope. We've talked about it before, but our joy is not complete until it is declared. And the disciples knew that principle, and it changed their life. Spirit shows up in sound, it shows up in sight, it shows up in soul-filling satisfaction, but it shows up too in speech. In fact, that's one of the most amazing things that they begin to talk about here is that the disciples, when that tongue of fire begins to dance on their head, when, when their soul-satisfying filling from the Holy Spirit comes on them, all of a sudden they begin to speak. And this declaration that they're sharing about the soul-filling satisfaction, this declaration happens instantly. And they begin to speak in languages. Not unknown languages, but known languages. They begin to speak in languages that they do not understand. Begin to speak in languages that they cannot, on their own, translate. They are uneducated Galileans speaking in foreign languages 
One commentator said it would be to us as if Uncle Sai began to speak in Chinese. That's the picture, if you know the Duck Dynasty guys. The disciples instantly began to speak in different languages. They began to declare, they began to declare the transformation that is happening inside of them. Spirit comes in sound, it becomes in sight, it comes in soul feeling satisfaction, it comes in speech. And lastly, the last point I want to make today before we share in communion together is that it comes in signs. And the picture, again, I want to point back to the Old Testament. Because the picture that happens here for the disciples is they begin to share in all of these languages, languages that they don't understand, that they don't know, but they began to speak in languages that other people hear and know and understand. And so other people, they, they began to, to say, what is going on here? And they're amazed and they're astonished and they're saying, are not these guys Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native tongue? And the picture goes all the way back again to the beginning in Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. You can turn there if you'd like. I'll I'll share with you just, we don't have a ton of time, but Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. You know that story. Men come together, they say, "Um, let's see what we can do. Let's, Let's build a tower. Let's see how high we can climb. Let's see if we can reach God on our own. And the story if you remember the story is, is they, they build and they build and they, they think they're going to build this tower where they might be able to reach the heavens. And then the story says, and God looked down to their little tower that they were building. And God says, if this is what they think they can do as they're joined together in unity, we're going to go and we're going to confuse their language. And so in Genesis chapter 11, God comes down and confuses their language. They all begin to speak a different language. And so from that point, then disperse into the world because they no longer have a common language to share together in Genesis chapter 11. He confuses their tongue, scatters them around the globe. And then, and then the rest of Genesis 11, he gives us a picture of, of some generations. There's, there's all these things that begin to happen. The people are scattered all around the world after the Tower of Babel, after that story in Genesis 11. And then we get to Genesis 12. And if, go ahead and, and turn there real quick. Genesis 12, if you have a second. I don't even have it to go on the screen. In Genesis 11... Everyone's scattered. Everyone speaks a different language. We get all the descendants then. And then in verse, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we have a new story that begins to happen in Genesis. Now the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. At Pentecost, we see this curse that happened in chapter 11 of all of these different languages being scattered all over. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, when God says to make a promise, I'm going to use you, this family, Abram's family, 
to bless all the peoples of the earth, all of a sudden now here in Pentecost, these things come together. The disciples begin to speak in tongues that they don't know, correcting, in a way, the punishment that God had given in Genesis chapter 11. And then I have a picture that is going to go on the screen here. This is just a map of that day of Pentecost. It's hard to see. It's hard to really understand. But you can see Jerusalem kind of there, bottom center with the arrow next to it. And then you begin to see all of those countries, cities that were named here in, Pente- in the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost story. Genesis chapter 2, God promises to Abram, your family is going to bless all of the peoples of the world. And here in Pentecost, they all begin to speak languages they don't know to places that are all around the known world. And it's this transformation that begins this gospel presentation to the rest of the known world. The early church and the disciples go from this place and the word begins to spread that God has made a way for us to have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. He shows up in sound, he shows up in sight, he shows up in soul-filling satisfaction, he shows up in speech, and he shows up in signs. What does this mean for us? We'll talk about that more next week. Peter tries to declare it and explain it in the rest of chapter two. What does it mean for you and I today? It means that we have hope. The message that got shared that day to those places continued on to Rome, which is far left there in the boot of Italy. It traveled on into Europe. It traveled on across the Atlantic to the United States. It traveled on to where you and I have heard it so that we might have hope as well. That transformation that began at Pentecost is the transformation that continues on for you and I here today. And that's what we're going to celebrate here at these tables in just a moment. We celebrate open communion here at Richland, which means if you can live under the invitation that's on the screen or in your bulletin, we want you to share in communion with us today. We have a process where the elders will dismiss you in your pew and you'll come forward and there are two cups inside these trays here on these tables. The bottom cup has the bread, the top cup has the juice. We just ask you to take both of those cups out of the tray when you do that. And then to hold that, to go back to your seat, to hold your cup and we'll take those two elements together uh, corporately as a corporate body. If you're in the balcony, there's also a tray in the back of the balcony for you. We get this morning to celebrate the message that was first declared in all of those different tongues on the day of Pentecost, on the temple courts in Jerusalem by Peter and the other disciples. That message is the one that we trumpet today, that we hope in today. God has made a way for us to have our sins forgiven in Jesus.
The elders are going to come. They'll dismiss you. The worship team's going to lead us. We're going to celebrate in communion together. Done 
represents the body of Jesus. It was broken for us that was killed on the cross, that was put in a tomb, that was raised from the dead, that ascended into heaven. This body represents hope for us. Take and eat and be grateful. And this cup represents the blood that was shed so that your sin and my sin might be covered so that we might have hope. Take and drink and be grateful. Our benediction this morning comes from Colossians chapter three. Let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Thanks for coming this morning.